0: Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. All right, you guys. Kurt Cobain part de. Yeah. We're ready to wrap. Well, I don't know if we'll ever have any no, real will never be closure. closure no, but we're going to have to wrap it up as best we can. Yeah. Yeah, as best we can. Um, if this is your first time with us, then pause it and yeah. go back and listen to part one of this case because uh, otherwise, you know, you're going to be lost. Yeah. And if you like being lost, that's your journey. Yeah, you do. You, we're not going to stop you. You know, maybe you are like Harry. And when Harry met Sally, and he and you read the last page of every book, <laughs> just, just in, in, case in case you die before you get to the end. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, again, it's your journey. So whatever you feel like doing, but I would recommend do not pass go, do not collect $200. You need to go back to the beginning. I was gonna say that. <laughs> Just like Hillary. And if you're not on our Patreon and you like the song Come Clean by Hillary Duff because memories, then you'll love our murder mix tape. Exactly. Or if you like Laguna Beach, mm, mm, mm. you know. All right. Um, so shall we? I think we shall. Okay. So when we last left off, basically we just got to up to the point where we talked about the Rome incident. Was that a suicide attempt? Was that an accidental overdose? And the fact that these things are kind of going on in the relationship. And then a month after this, now Kurt Cobain is dead. So we're kind of getting to the actual... Yes. One of the last confirmed things that he was feeling or did was trying to get the H-E-Double Hockey Sticks away from Courtney Love. hmm mm-hmm, yeah. So let's talk about the 27 Club. Hmm. On Friday, April 8th, 1994, electrician Gary Smith was doing an inspection on Kurt's home for an outdoor security system around 8.40 a.m. He looked through the glass doors of the apartment above the garage that was used as a greenhouse and saw what he believed to be a mannequin. Nope. What, nope. what do we know about mannequins? It's never a mannequin. Never a mannequin. Mm-mm. Never. Unless you happen to be outside of a mannequin emporium, everything must go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mannequins, mannequins, mannequins. Yeah. Then possibly. Right. And even then, I wouldn't trust it. I would definitely double check for a pulse. Just in oh, case. Oh, yes. Yes. Unless you're like Torella, who's never ever had a pulse. Yeah, that's a tricky thing for you to do. Mm-hmm. Not going to find one on me. Mm-mm. She doesn't drink enough water. Sure don't. blood to flow through her veins. Got a whole cup of water here. Not going to drink it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Can't make me. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I guess if you don't listen to this stuff all the time, you might. You might. I don't think there was ever a time in my life where I would have said that's a mannequin. I would have always said that's a dead body. But, Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I also think that all trash bags on the side of the road are bodies, even if they're kind of small. Like I was walking my dogs yesterday, and I stumbled upon it was a tiny garbage bag, and I was like, "Oh God!" Because in, a in my mind, in there, yeah, I was gonna say it's a dismembered parts of a body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, sometimes it is, you know. So you I just know. gotta, you just gotta be real careful. Can't be too careful. Exactly. But he did quickly realize that it was not a mannequin, it was a body laying on the floor with a gun laying on his stomach pointed up towards the head. He called 911 and investigators found the deceased body of 27-year-old rock star Kurt Cobain in what appeared to be a suicide. Kurt joined the historic 27 Club, which is the celebrities who have died at age 27, so, this includes Jimi Hendrix, Janice Joplin, and Jim Morrison, which is kind of incredibly crazy to me because I haven't thought this about Jim Morrison because I don't really know much about him. But yeah, and I don't know much about Jimi Hendrix or Janice Joplin, but I look at them and don't see them as 27. I look at them and see them as way older. Yeah, yeah. Don't you? Yeah, definitely. Especially Jimi Hendrix. Well, yeah, but Janice, I mean, God, she was road hard and put up wet. Well, that's true. That's true. Talk about a voice. Come on. Come on. She's so, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I said it. (laughs) Um, Fans were stunned and incredibly heartbroken. They couldn't believe that Kurt had taken his own life. There'd been a recent interview in which Kurt said he was getting happier in general, but... He didn't want to become so blissful that he became boring or lost his edge. Uh, I don't want to be so happy that I'm boring. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, You got to have that little edge, you know, like he's happy, but he's not too happy. Yeah, I'm never going to be one that like wakes up whistling. So I think that I'm fine with, you know, I'll never be that happy. Same, I'm an absolute dragon bitch before six in the morning <laughs> at least. Well, I mean, my God, that is so early. <laughs> Yeah, Andrew has learned that you just don't fucking wake her up. Even if my alarm is going off, like I he just leaves me and whatever happens, happens. <laughs> and also there's a strong argument for being loud and slamming drawers and things. You know what I mean? Like, mm, don't even. Just don't. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder where Jesse gets it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, so he was like happy, but he didn't want to be like like, Too too happy. People began to reflect on lyrics that he had written in the past about depression and suicide. And he would publicly deny accusations that he was suicidal. And he would like do interviews and be like, My lyrics don't mean anything. Like, you guys are making it out to be this, like, such a heavy thing. And most of them, I don't even know what they're about. He would like say that he would finally, like the day before they would record, have to finally put words to a song. Like, mm-hmm. he's just like, I was lazy. I would just write stuff down at the last minute, just kind of whatever came out sort of thing. It's so funny to me because a lot of people, like we do that in general with anybody that we don't know that is kind of celebrity-esque that, you know, it's like, we don't know when we can't talk to them to get the full story. So we just make up the our own narrative, I feel like, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, well, this is what, because Art is open to interpretation. It can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And it's just so crazy to me. I can't imagine like as an artist being like, no, <laughs> you guys missed the whole point. Yeah. Well, I remember hearing an interview and um, I am not trying to put them in the same category as Kurt Cobain, even I understand that, but <laughs> uh, with Nickelback. Oh, and I, I remember, God. yeah, but I remember somebody <laughs> asking Chad Kroger like, man, your lyrics are so Deep. Like, what is it? He's like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, he had no idea what his songs were about. He was like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could like take it down a notch or whatever, but he's like, I don't even know what they're about. Like, <laughs> he's like, you're so not deep. gonna, even I don't understand them. Yeah. He's like, you're not gonna find this meaning in it because it's, it's not, it's meaningless. Yeah. Me. It's, I don't know what it is. It's just stuff. Like, it doesn't matter, you know? That is so funny. Yeah. So, like, I mean, you know, if I were to write songs, which I used to do, mm-hmm. they would be very meaningful and probably a little too on the nose, for being honest, because they were all about love and whatever <laughs> breakup I had recently gone through. It was pretty obvious what I was writing about, I would say. But, you know, there are plenty of people who can just write stuff. It doesn't have to be these, like, Taylor Swift deep emotional feelings about everything. Yes, it's not the same, but... It is kind of the same, like with tattoos. People are like, what does it mean? I'm like, I thought it was cool. <laughs> That's what it means. It means I had enough money to pay for it. Well, I mean, what do, mm-hmm. what do you want? What do you want for me? Yeah, Tori had these earrings once that were in the shape of a leaf. And so here they are on our feet. Yes, and you could. I mean, I've done it. I've been like, oh, it symbolizes change. And mm-hmm. no, it, I just, I thought it was cute. Yeah, and we were like, let's both have them. Cool. I forget about that tattoo. What? I do. Really? Yeah. It's one of my only, so I guess that's why. Hey, you have three. Yeah, but I don't have 50 like you. I don't know if he meant that as an insult, but I took it as a compliment. I meant it as an insult. (laughs) I know you did. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. But yeah, he was just like, guys, like, don't read too much into this. It's really not that big of a deal. Like, I don't know, whatever. But even so, police were like, well, this was a suicide, five minutes after they saw his body. Suicide, end of story. Get out of here. Everybody go away. How many times? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. And how many times do we have to hear that it is not the police on scene that make that determination? No, you don't do an ocular pat down Mm -mm. and then say, I know exactly what happened here. Exactly. And you don't... You you don't let the patrolman make that decision either. And the detective at the Seattle Police Department is going to go on to say that they don't even respond. The homicide detectives don't respond to a suicide. And I'm like... But how do you know it's a fucking suicide? Yeah, so they're like, well, if the patrolman feels good about it being a suicide and it looks close enough to him, then we just won't come down. Are you serious right now? The medical examiner has not even performed an autopsy yeah exactly how many cases would be ruled a suicide if by ocular pat down somebody said well looks like a suicide to me and then the medical examiner never did an autopsy like that would it would just stay there but that's not how it goes because how many cases have we seen that appeared to be a suicide but turned out to be a murder trying to masquerade as a suicide exactly absolutely and i think sometimes too We've seen some or have talked about at least one where it was very, very clearly not a suicide. <gasps> mm-hmm. But apparently somebody didn't want to do paperwork. Mm-hmm. So they were like, well, suicide. Yeah. Yeah, but Tori, do you know how much paperwork it is though? And what if it was uh, 4.30 and they were supposed to get off at five and then they were going to go to Applebee's, you know? That's, yeah, I didn't even You don't want to miss that. happy hour, my God. No, two for ones, can't pass it up. Can't miss it. Yeah, Exactly. Okay, so Kurt had died from a gunshot wound to the head, and when the police arrived, they found Kurt lying on the floor of the greenhouse with a shotgun laying on his stomach, and it was pointed against his chin. There was a note laying on a pile of potting soil with a pin stabbed through it. Near the body, there was a pack of cigarettes, a small towel, a hat, a can of root beer, and a cigar box that had the supplies for injecting heroin, as well as a small bag of heroin and a used syringe. The French doors to the room were locked. The media initially described this as Kurt having barricaded himself inside this room. But what had really happened was these are, you know, two French doors. The only lock on these doors is one of those little twist locks in the middle of the doorknob. You know, you push in and you turn and it's locked. hmm That's not by definition barricading by any means. No, somebody said that a door or a chair was like lodged up against it. And when they went in to look, the chair was up against a wall in the corner. Yeah. And it's a stool. It's not a chair that has a back to it that would, you know, that you like, could wedge underneath, underneath the yeah. doorknob. Right. It's just a stool and it was like sort of nearby. Mm-hmm. You could open the door fine without that stool making any bit of difference It's like a blatant lie. (laughs) Yeah. And the twist lock, I mean, yes, the room was locked from the inside. But that's, if you're like, if somebody's at your house, you're at somebody's house, whatever, and you don't have a key to it and you're leaving for whatever reason, you stayed with a friend for the weekend, they've already gone to work and you're leaving, whatever. Okay, you want me to lock the door? Yep, just... Twist the lock on the inside, you know, and shut the door behind you. Boom, it's locked. Yeah, I do that with my garage door whenever I leave. Like, Yeah, that's how you lock a door that you don't have a key to. Or, you know, like you can lock a door seemingly from the inside and then pull it shut and bada bing, bada boom. Now you've locked it and technically you're outside. Yeah, this is a very standard, pretty easy, basic door lock. We've talked about how it's possible to lock a door from the outside using one of those chain locks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can get creative and do a lot of things with door locks like it Mm -hmm. can happen. Yeah, definitely. So the first person in on the scene was a paramedic named John Fisk. And he said that he could immediately tell that this was a fatality. He said initially he did not recognize the victim. But once he learned who it was, that he was absolutely shocked. Like, police were like, oh, do you know this is Kurt Cobain, the rock star? And he's like, oh, gosh. But he did say, so another thing that the media reported was that Kurt was completely unrecognizable, and not to be morbid, but that's, I mean, we're talking about, you know, murders here. A shotgun to the head. A shotgun blast to the head is going to remove some facial features. Mm Mm-hmm sometimes so you know depending on the angle and all the things and he said that his face was not not very deformed or disfigured in any it, way after the shot yeah he was easily recognizable yeah he's like once i found out who it was i was like oh yeah that definitely is him you know it's not mm-hmm. like half of his face was missing i mean that's just not how it was but that's how it was reported in the media that he man, had to be identified really took, through finger, fingerprints only. Took it and ran, man. They really didn't. I don't know where they got that information. Kurt's autopsy, though, was never released to the public, and they had several undeveloped roles of film that were photographed at the death scene, but that were never released. And initially, the reason they didn't release them was because they didn't even bother to get them developed. Because why would you develop photographs from... A suicide you have no need right and the private detective is like okay but what if though that it seems to be a suicide but it's not because that's a thing and you look through photos and you realize there's something out of place or something you know like Mm -hmm. what if you see something in those photos that you didn't remember seeing when you were there you need those for evidence. And they're like, you don't need evidence in a suicide. It's no big deal. Right. I, again, am going to have to go back to Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast. I don't know why I didn't see it there before. Exactly. Like, how many times do you friggin' listen to something or like watch a movie a second time or whatever and be like, oh, I never realized that. Oh, I never paid attention to that. Oh, I don't, you know, like, how many times have I driven in my own neighborhood and not realized that a guy over here has his own damn plane? Exactly. What? Yeah, right outside of my neighborhood. He does. He has his own plane and hangar. Wow. Never saw it. Well, yeah. I mean, people have come into my salon and I've been there for three years now, coming there for years. And they're like, oh, wow. When'd you get that light fixture? Like been having it. Never did. It's always been there. Been having it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I mean, come on. You know, it's just like. That's how it goes sometimes. Yeah. And it's very much not protocol. Like, Every other, like in the soaked in bleach thing, they talked to several people in the field, medical examiners, uh, detectives, the guy who wrote the book on death investigation, homicide investigation, like all these people. And they're like, it is not protocol ever to just not develop photos. You always develop the photos and look through them. And you also never rule it as a suicide before you've talked to people you've determined patterns and behaviors of the victim and the people around them you've determined if there's a reason why somebody would want them dead you've mm-hmm. determined if you know all these other things like you've gone through all the evidence you've looked through the pictures you've gotten the autopsy results like all those things have to happen before you can confidently rule it as a suicide or a homicide well yeah and i feel like the what the police officers did is they were like yeah but i mean how do you explain the suicide note <laughs> Okay, (laughs) right. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I forgot the note, so never mind. Yeah, I think you are looking and feeling pretty stupid right about now. I am because there was a note. There was a Mm -hmm. note. Those cannot have been forged. Could not have been written by anybody else. Exactly. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Exactly. So yeah, we do know. And that is one little known fact about suicide notes is that every one of them is exactly what it purports itself to be can't be written by anybody else especially if it's typed up it had to have been oh yeah by the person it's kind of like if you um if you get in a car with a cop and you're trying to get a hitman and you ask them are you a they have to tell you, you know? exactly yeah so it's like a suicide fact. note has to tell you if somebody else wrote it <laughs> exactly yeah exactly i forgot about that and if if it is in fact a suicide okay but all of these things would just strengthen that, right? Like, yeah. if you actually did the work and asked the questions and did all the things and, you know, then it, everything would just support that. Mm-hmm. So why not, why, not just, why not just follow the friggin' protocol? I don't get it. Right. They also did do toxicology on Kurt, though, and the toxicology report showed an extreme level of black tar heroin. There is no word for how extreme the level of heroin in his bloodstream was. Mm -mm. Okay, so I don't know anything about heroin. His heroin blood level was 1.52 milligrams per liter. Now, 5 milligrams of heroin would produce a blood level of 0.035 milligrams per liter. Most users will use about 40 to 60 milligrams per hit, which will only get them to about 0.42 milligrams per liter. Kurt had three times this amount in his system at the time of his death. So that he would have needed like 225 milligrams of heroin to reach that. And when we're talking about 40 to 60 normally. Right. And the they said that it was like three times the lethal limit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I don't know much about heroin, but from what I have like seen in movies and stuff, it seems like once you shoot up, you're super out of it. A lot of people fall asleep, right? And with the needle still in their arm. hmm So if you are going to take three times the lethal amount of that and you're injecting that directly into your veins, are you then going to be lucid, conscious, and coordinated enough To put everything away because, like you said, sometimes they'll fall asleep with the needle still in their arm. All of this stuff was capped and put away. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even just laying out had fallen to the side, you know? It was capped and put away. And he was able to angle a shotgun and shoot himself Mm -hmm. and not miss. There's just no way. Like, you get that much heroin in your bloodstream based on, you know, everything else that we've heard in these reports and stuff, you're not functioning after that. Mm -mm. Like, game over. Yeah, that's it for you. You're not moving anymore. You're not going to be able to. I mean, shotguns are big. They're hard to maneuver. It takes a lot of coordination to get it the way that he needed to have gotten it. Not even talking about length and all that get it the way he needed, needed to have gotten it for him to be able to, to kill himself. It mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense. The initial medical examiner on scene also noted an impression on the webbing of Kurt's left hand that was from the shotgun barrel. Six days after his body was found, the Seattle Police Department allowed Courtney and Kurt's family to have his body cremated. Mm. That's interesting that he was cremated. I don't know. That's a good way to avoid Uh huh an investigation. Yeah, I'd be very interested to know because Courtney's still his wife at this point. So I would think she'd be able to make that call. And I wonder if that's the call that her family, his family wanted to make as well. Right. And I mean, he's 27. The odds of him having a living will are kind of probably slim. Yeah, you're right. I think the only reason you would maybe have something in place is just because of how famous he was or that they had a daughter. But still, yeah, it's very unlikely. Yeah, because you're not supposed to die that young. You're just not. Exactly. So let's talk about the fact, is it suicide or is it murder? I think it's pretty obvious what we think, but (laughs) yeah, we'll talk about it. Shortly after Kurt's death, theories began to surface that he was murdered. The most popular of the theories was that Kurt's wife, Courtney Love, had arranged her husband's murder. I agree. The most notable of these theories was explained in a documentary by Tom Grant. It was a popular investigator hired by Courtney Love, and it was the Soaked in Bleach documentary. Grant formally worked for the LA County Sheriff's Department. He quit the department in high standing to obtain his own PI license and open his own company. He had a stellar reputation, and Grant was hired on April 3rd, 1994 by Courtney to find Kurt, who she believed was missing. The following information is a mix of Grant's accounts and information that Courtney and friends of Kurt provided. Yeah, and- it sounds like too that Courtney, it wasn't like Courtney knew him or was like given his name as a reference. She just started calling people and it was like Easter Sunday and he happened to answer the phone and that's how they got hooked up, mm-hmm. essentially. So after speaking to Courtney over the phone, Grant met her at a hotel. The first thing she said to him when they met was, you leak this to the press and I'll sue the fuck out of you. <laughs> just... I mean, as sweet as pie. I know it. Gracious host, this one. Yeah. Yeah. Also, she was wearing her fucking lingerie. And he was like, Yeah, he was like, it was totally see through. And she lets him in and starts talking to them. And she's laying on the bed, almost looking like she's writhing around, like she's trying Mm -hmm. to be sexy, which I'm sure she is. I don't know. I feel like she's just trying to pull the wool over their eyes. So she's just being like, Oh, look at my boobies. Again, put your cat up. Like nobody wants to see it. Mm -mm -mm -mm. But you know, some people you got to tell that to apparently. Apparently. She told him that Kurt had been in rehab at Exodus Recovery Center in California and that he had left the day after checking in. One of Kurt's visitors at Exodus reported that though they expected him to be depressed and look terrible, he actually looked great and was happy. The nanny brought Frances Bean by to visit her father before he left. This was the last time they saw each other just after the domestic incident with Courtney earlier in March, Courtney and several other friends of Kurt's gathered at the Cobain Seattle home for an intervention. Courtney reportedly threatened to leave Kurt and Novoselic threatened to break up the band if Kurt didn't seek help for his drug addiction. It was reported that his record label and managers attended the intervention as well. The following day, Courtney, in a move which she referred to as tough love, left for Beverly Hills and checked in at the Peninsula Hotel for an outpatient program to detox from tranquilizers. Holy shit. Mm. Tranquilizers. I don't, I mean, the depths of their addiction is scary. Was I mean, yeah. like I said, I think she's gotten clean now, but it was scary. Yeah. And at the time, she's supposed to be doing this outpatient program at this hotel, but she's staying there with her drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't seem like she's clean then. Yeah. I don't think she was really working. The program only works if you work it. You know what I mean? And she was not doing it. No. She was like, I'm going to pretend to work it. hmm Yeah. She's going to work something else. Mm-hmm. Prior to checking in to Exodus, Kurt asked his good friend Dylan Carlson for a gun. Carlson didn't find this odd as he'd lent him guns before. Kurt said that he was concerned about intruders on his property and the police had confiscated all of his guns. So he's like, okay, fine, I'll just get a new one. Like, (laughs) I guess, I don't know. I mean, it works. Yeah, I guess um, legal things aren't the most concerning to like Dylan. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, the police took all your guns. Sure, I'll get you another one, no problem. Like, right? there's a reason they took them away. There's a reason that they don't think that you should have one and you're not supposed to get it under somebody else's name. Like, yeah. Carlson said he thought Kurt was asked or asked him to buy it because he didn't want the police to confiscate this one. The two headed to a nearby gun store where Carlson purchased Kurt a six pound 20 gauge Remington shotgun and a box of ammo. Knowing that Kurt was headed to rehab, Carlson offered to hang on to the gun until he returned, but Kurt insisted on keeping it. Police believe Kurt dropped it off at his home before leaving for Exodus. Courtney told Grant that she was concerned about Kurt using her credit cards after leaving rehab on March 31st. She was also worried about his mental state and believed he was suicidal. She knew about the gun that Carlson had purchased and wanted Grant to find both Kurt and the shotgun. She told him that she knew he'd purchased a ticket to Seattle after leaving Exodus, but no one had seen him since. She said that she called the credit card company and told them that her card had been stolen and wanted to cancel them. There are reports that Kurt was the one who canceled the card himself, but to keep Courtney from knowing where he was. Tom said that much of the time that he was meeting Courtney, she was high on drugs or doing drugs. On April 4th, Courtney called the credit card company to tell who told her that Kurt had bought two tickets on United Airlines, but couldn't tell her to wear. She said she felt like Kurt wanted a divorce, that he had been unfaithful. She thought that he would cheated on her with the bassist in her band and his drug dealer. Though reports said that Kurt never cheated on Courtney. She also told Grant that she'd planted a story in the news saying that she'd overdosed and was in the hospital in hopes of getting Kurt's attention and bringing him out of hiding. Uh... Does that not just tell you, though, that she's <laughs> that she's totally willing to lie in the press just to get whatever she wants out there? Like, exactly, like she's is deceitful. Mm-hmm. Ugh. She had a record coming out soon and said that all publicity was good publicity. She thought it would help to sell records if she leaked a story that she tried to kill herself after Kurt left her. Grant advised her not to confirm these stories. <laughs> Courtney went to the Seattle police and filed a missing persons report for Kurt but she filed it under his mother's name. She believed he was hiding out in a motel somewhere in Seattle, possibly with his drug dealer. Grant called hotels, checked under Kurt's pseudonyms, but was unable to find him. He finally decided to take his search to Seattle. Since Courtney was still in Beverly Hills, she had Dylan Carlson go to look for Kurt. Callie DeWitt, one of Frances Bean's nannies and Courtney's ex-boyfriend, was staying at the Cobain house with his girlfriend. And he said that if Kurt came by the house, he'd let him know. Carlson said that Kurt wasn't depressed and that he was handling things well. He said that the overdose in Rome was unintentional and that the gun he'd bought for Kurt was in case of an intruder. He told Grant multiple times that Kurt was not suicidal. Yeah, just adamant. He is absolutely not suicidal. Yes. Anybody that knew him except for Courtney. Courtney's the only one who says, mm-hmm. "Oh my God, he is a completely suicidal." Soon after they took the investigation to Seattle, Courtney began communicating with Grant through Carlson. She said she wanted them to go through the house to look for the gun. On April 7th, Carlson and Grant entered the home looking for the shotgun, but they were unable to find it. They found a note from Callie laying on the stairs of the home. The note said, Kurt, I can't believe you managed to be in this house without me noticing. You're a fucking asshole for not calling Courtney and at least telling her you know that you're okay. She's in a lot of pain, Kurt. And this morning, she had another accident and now she's in the hospital again. She's your wife. She loves you. And you have a child together. Get it together to at least tell her you're okay or she is going to die. It's not okay, man. Or it's not fair, man. Do something now. Who does it sound like wrote that? Courtney. Who is it only about? Courtney. (laughs) I just don't think that... Like, I just don't see why Callie would be like, man, I didn't even know you were here. How did you do that? Poor Courtney. Have you even thought about Courtney? What is Courtney going through right now? Like, it just, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. And also the fact that that fucking note was not there the day before when the private investigator was there. hmm And just so happened to be laying like on the stairs. It was so like obviously planted, like mm-hmm. staged. Mm-hmm. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a toddler trying to trick you, or like you know, like mm-hmm. or trying to scare you. How they are hiding in plain sight behind and like a, a popsicle stick, yeah, and then you come around and they're like, bah! and you're like, whoa, wow, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> like, yes. that's what it's like. It, it, they, exactly. Of course, somebody's gonna find it on the step. I don't know. It just, it's just, yeah. it's just so ridiculous. But of course, Grant said that he didn't think the note made sense because it doesn't. Rosemary Carroll, who was a close friend of the Cobain's as well as Courtney's lawyer, believed that Callie wrote the note after he knew that Kurt was dead. She said that several weeks ago, Courtney had called her and told her that Kurt was leaving her. She asked her to find the meanest, most vicious divorced attorney and if there was any way that they could void the prenup. (laughs) She's so money hungry. Yeah. And fame hungry, but. It's also almost saying like, what are my options to make sure that I don't have to deal with him, but I still get the money? Exactly. You know, like, can we void the prenup? Well, no, that's kind of what it's there for. Exactly. And the only way to get around the prenup and to not be together anymore is for him to die. Exactly. Yeah, nobody, like, signs a prenup and they're like, well, if you decide you don't want to do it, just let me know. hmm never mind. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is two words, and we know that now. Yep, never. Mind. Mind. Mm -hmm. Around the same time, Carol said that Kurt called to ask if Courtney's name could be taken out of the will. So we did have will. Yes, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's why I was like, well, yeah, that he had it because he was famous. But a lot. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's just, I mean, 27 is young to be, you know. Anyway. Yeah, it is. It's very young. I wasn't thinking about a will at 27. That's for sure. I don't even think I have one now. But anyway, after Kurt's body was discovered on the eighth, Grant was stunned to learn about the existence of the greenhouse. He said that Carlson couldn't really explain as to why he'd never told Grant to check the greenhouse when they were there. Anytime Grant had been at the home, it'd been dark and raining and he couldn't see the greenhouse. And this is in Seattle, so I'm pretty sure it rains all of the fucking time. Mm -hmm. And Courtney has never mentioned for him to go check this part either. And she's supposed to be telling him all the different places in the house that either the shotgun could be or he could be and... He's like, I mean, he and Dylan like lifted up mattresses, like checked under the bed, like they went through everything looking for the shotgun and it wasn't there. But she never once says, you know, hey, check the greenhouse. Yeah, it could be in the greenhouse. What if it's in the greenhouse? She knows about that room. Like Carlson knows about that room. Yeah, if you're looking for something, even if like I've done it multiple times, if I like lose my phone, I check the refrigerator, I check, you know, like, where would it be that I probably just set it down or didn't know? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you have to check every place. If I couldn't find something in my house, I wouldn't I wouldn't tell somebody go check the attic probably, but that's because we never go into the attic. But this mm-hmm. is sounds like the way they made it sound like was that this was a room that they hung out in at times. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense that he might have gone there. Or like she said, if he's trying to hide out and he doesn't want to just stay in the main house, where would be somewhere that he could go? Right, to be away from everybody. Exactly, like she just didn't want him to look there. Yep. Carol said that she'd been with Courtney while she was on the phone with Carlson and that she'd told him to check the greenhouse. Supposedly, at least five people, including police, Seattle police officers, had been to the house to search for Kurt during daylight hours and did not see his body. So what do we know about Kurt's last days? On March 31st, he had his last visit with Francis Bean at Exodus Courtney made 13 unanswered calls to her husband that day. She reportedly told Grant that she'd only made one. Mm -hmm. On the evening of April 1st, he went to the airport and boarded Delta Flight 788 to Seattle. Though Courtney was only 10 miles away in Beverly Hills, he chose to leave for Washington rather than see her. On April 2nd, Callie said that Kurt visited him and his girlfriend in Callie's bedroom at Kurt's home in Seattle. Phone records showed that Callie spoke to Courtney eight times that day. The following day, Courtney hired Grant and supposedly neglected to tell him that her husband was seen the day before. Courtney, to me, I don't know how Grant put up with dealing with her. I know. All she does is lie. Mm -hmm. And he deals with her very well. Mm -hmm. Like for whatever reason, like she very easily flies off the handle. And for whatever reason, She'll get mad at him, but she continues to open up to him and talk to him and stuff, which I don't mm-hmm. understand why. It's pretty crazy. She does a really good job of keeping her like kind of on the hook and open up, like opening up to continue giving him information that he needs. hmm Okay, so let's break down the suicide note. Quote, unquote. <laughs> Excuse me. It is a suicide note, but it's, it's not written by Kurt. Right. The note that was found on scene with Kurt was concerning to those that believed he was murdered. It was addressed to his childhood imaginary friend. Is it Boda? I don't know. I don't know. Boda? Boda. The first and largest portion of the note seemed to be directed towards his fans. He writes about how he doesn't appreciate the fame and doesn't love things like he used to. I would like to read the whole thing because I mm-hmm. think it's, um, I think it's important because it just, uh, it's very like one of these things is not like the other, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So I think that the body of it makes sense for him, and then the bottom part doesn't make sense for him. Does that make sense? Right, and they don't go together. They're not. Mm-mm. They're so disjointed. <laughs> yeah, it's so disjointed. Speaking from the tongue of an experienced simpleton who obviously would rather be an emasculated infantile complainee, this note should be pretty easy to understand. All the warnings from the Punk Rock 101 courses over the years since my first introduction to the, shall we say, ethics involved with independence and the embracement of your community has proven to be very true. I haven't felt the excitement of listening to as well as creating music along with reading and writing for too many years now. I feel guilty beyond words about these things. For example, when we're backstage and the lights go out and the manic roar of the crowd begins, it doesn't affect me the way in which it did for Freddie Mercury, who seemed to love, relish, in the love and adoration from the crowd, which is something I totally admire and envy. The fact is, I can't fool you, any one of you. It simply isn't fair to you or me. The worst crime I can think of would be to rip people off by faking and pretending as if I'm having 100% fun. Sometimes I feel as if I should have a punch in time clock before I walk out on stage. I've tried everything within my power to appreciate it. And I do, God believe me, I do, but it's not enough. I appreciate the fact that I and we have affected and entertained a lot of people. It must be one of those narcissists who only appreciate things when they're gone. I'm too sensitive. I need to be slightly numb in order to regain the enthusiasms I once had as a child. On our last three tours, I've had a much better appreciation for all the people I've known personally and as fans of our music, but I still can't get over the frustration, the guilt, and empathy I have for everyone. There's good in all of us, and I think I simply love people too much, so much that it makes me feel too fucking sad. The sad little sensitive, unappreciative Pisces Jesus man. Why don't you just enjoy it? I don't know. This is so sad. So sad. It's so relatable too, though, because I think there are just so many people in life I've felt this way for a long, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of times where it's like, you have everything. Mm -hmm. Why aren't you happy? What's wrong with you? You know, Mm -hmm. like, why can't I just be happy with the things that I have instead of feeling this empty void kind of thing? Like, oh, so sad. Mm Mm-hmm. I have a goddess of a wife who sweats ambition and empathy and a daughter who reminds me too much of what I used to be, full of love and joy, kissing every person she meets because everyone is good and will do her no harm. And that terrifies me to the point to where I can barely function. I can't stand the thought of Frances becoming the miserable, self-destructive death rocker that I've become. I have it good, very good, and I'm grateful. But since the age of seven, I've become hateful towards all humans in general. Only because it seems so easy for people to get along that have empathy. Only because I love and feel sorry for people too much, I guess. Thank you all from the pit of my burning, nauseous stomach for your letters and concern during the past years. I'm too much of an erratic, moody baby. I don't have the passion anymore. And so remember, it's better to burn out than to fade away. Peace, love, empathy. Kurt Cobain. Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life, which will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And also if you look at it, so where I started, um, like, well, after he signs off, Mm -hmm. Kurt Cobain, and then it says, you know, to Francis and Courtney, blah, blah, blah. Like those last couple of lines to look at the note even to somebody like us who don't deal in documents, which is apparently a big thing. Yes. According to Murder Among the Mormons or whatever it's called. And yes. I said occurring by accident. <laughs> you can tell that the top part and the bottom part were not written by the same person or at least at the same time. Right. You know how when you get going and you're writing like a lot, you get like a flow and it all... Mm-hmm. goes together and then if you were to like start a word and put it up and then come back like even an hour later but you know a day later or whatever even if you use the same pin you can tell where you started that second session you know what I mean like mm-hmm. it's different that flow is completely different I love you I love you is in all caps it's written much larger at the bottom When all the words at the top are very small and tightly written. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't seem like it's the same person. Yeah, this is spaced out. It's larger. It just, just all of it doesn't go. I don't buy it. Yeah. When Grant showed Carol the note, she immediately believed it to be a forgery. So this is somebody who's very close to Courtney and Kurt. And she's like, "Uh -uh, that's not real. She said that she knew Courtney and Kurt better than anyone did, and in one of Grant's recordings of a conversation with Carol, she said, that suicide note, it's a pastiche of things that he had written before, and of someone copying his handwriting. This is my theory, and a lot of it's intuition. I think all that weirdness with Callie living in the house for several days while there with Kurt's corpse in the other place, I think it had to do with the suicide note, Grant said that initially Courtney did not plan on letting, one else, letting anyone else see the note. She was very, like she wouldn't even let Rosemary see the note. And Rosemary had asked to see it. And like, what reasoning would you have to not let anybody see the note? Yeah. I mean, other than it's private, you know, and things like that. But that's not how Courtney rolls, right? Mm-mm. Well, Courtney seems to be very much like an open book. I mean, she, she wants everybody to see everything about her. Mm -hmm, So for mm -hmm. her to keep that private, it does not make any sense. Yeah, but when you see the note, you realize why, because that would be a liability because anybody who looks at it says that doesn't look like the same person wrote all of it. Mm -hmm. So that's a red flag. But Grant ended up, he said, kind of tricked her into giving him a copy because he had gone and talked to her and basically he had, what was it? He was asking her about something in in the letter. Oh, he said, you read part of the letter or you quoted part of the letter in an an interview I heard you do, but you said the letter said this, but then you said it said this or something like that. And she's like, no, 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 no. That's not what it was. It was, you know, she's trying to like talk her way out of it. And he's like, man, I just really wish, you know, if I could just see it, it would help me make sense of that because it just, it's not making sense to me. Like, I don't know why I can't wrap my head around it. She's like, oh my God, here, let me, let me just show it to you. And he's like, oh, gosh, you know what? I wish I could read this right now, but I don't have my reading glasses on me. <laughs> what if I made a copy and I read it later? And she's like, Ugh, fine, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> so otherwise she would not have given him a copy. She was very, very careful with that before. Mm-hmm. Carol called Grant and told him that Courtney had left a bag of items at her house on the 6th. And in the bag, they found a piece of paper that had several letters written all over the page. From what Carol and Grant said, it appeared to be tracings of letters from Kurt's notebooks. However, once Carol found out that Grant was going public with his recordings and his findings, she stopped providing information and then threatened him with a lawsuit and criminal prosecution. I think she wanted to help, but she didn't want to be the one on record saying it, I guess. Right. Because when she found out that it was being recorded, she was like, are you kidding me? And he's like, no, I record every single one of my conversations. You know this. Like, yeah. How else do you think I gave you a recording of every one of my conversations? Like, exactly. Yeah. But I guess for whatever reason, she didn't think like he'd record me too. And after that, she just became like she walled herself off. Since then, several people have analyzed the quote practice sheet found in Courtney's bag. Some say that the letters appear very similar, while others say that they had to be manipulated to match. I mean, they do, and in the soaked and bleach thing, they do the thing where, you know, you'll see this in some episodes of other crime shows where they'll kind of digitally or whatever, pluck some of the letters out of the original note and they'll lay, like they would lay like her practice writings over top of it and you can see how they match together. Mm-hmm. A lot of them did seem very similar. I remember looking at stuff like that a lot with the JonBenét Ramsey case mm. because you know, Patsy Ramsey's practice note was found as well where it had, she had pressed it into the, the page underneath it. And she had done like a bunch of practice writings to try to do different what styles of A or like whatever it is. What purpose would... I'm a grown-up, okay? If I found a sheet like that in my son's backpack, who's five, that makes sense to me. Why are you practicing your letters? Because you don't fucking know how to write. hmm I mean, it makes sense. If I had a backpack, which I do, I have one for my laptop, and in that backpack, if I had, you know, my mom's signature or something, and then also a bunch of practice pages where I'm practicing that, that's a little suspicious, wouldn't you say? Yes, definitely sus what am I going to do with that with that practice signature just for my own shits and gigs or like, what am I doing with it? I don't know. It's just weird because it's for something. <laughs> exactly. Like as an adult, we don't really have a need for that unless I do have one of those little calligraphy books, you know, mm-hmm. where you do the practice letters, but you do it in the book. Right. You know, and I do have a notebook Well, I'll practice that, but it's very clearly calligraphy and not something else, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's very different. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. No, not at all. the, The whole thing, like just a lot of this is just it doesn't make sense. If it in fact is a suicide, I would, I mean, then produce all the evidence that shows that. Like, but you guys didn't investigate and that's the thing. We wouldn't have all these questions if there was an investigation done. Right. There are several discrepancies that the people who believe Kurt was murdered point out. The first was the position the shotgun was found in. So Kurt was laying face up with the shotgun between his legs pointing to his head with his left hand wrapped around the barrel. The shotgun was upside down with the trigger pointing upwards. In the documentary, Soaked in Bleach, it said that the shotgun shell was on his left side of the body. If the shotgun was fired upside down as it was found, the shell could not, should have expelled to the right. There was no way that it could have gone to the left. Mm -mm. There was nothing found that the shell could have ricocheted off of. Yeah, because they're like the only way that it's going to expel to the right as it should, but land on the left is if there's an object on the right that it will bounce off of, and then it subsequently land on the left. Right. Mm-hmm. And it landed like on a like jacket or almost looked like a flannel shirt or something like rolled up. What you know, kind of piled up. Kurt Cobain in flannel. I know, right? Crazy. Like it was totally like not his style but like sometimes, you know. <laughs> but it was like I don't know if you've ever heard of flannel before? Right. But there's nothing on the right side. You know, there's the cigar box and stuff over kind of to the right but further back, but still it would have to be something that's taller like a a person. A chair, a box, you know, like something Mm -hmm. bigger that it would bounce off of. That little cigar box ain't gonna do shit. Well, and it's not big enough. It wouldn't have gone all the way over his body. Exactly, yeah. They argued that the cadaveric spasm of Kurt's muscles after his death would have captured his body in the exact position it was when he died. Meaning that there was no way that the shotgun would have flipped after firing. A cadaveric spasm occurs only in death. However, it is a rare occurrence, not something that happens in all deaths. That's what I was thinking because when he was explaining that, I was like, it doesn't do that every single time. Isn't it more likely that because if his hand is gripped around the shotgun, the way that they're showing it in the reenactment, I feel like two things could have happened, I guess, or I don't know, maybe three. Because I mean, typically what would happen is his hand would kind of fall right? Mm -hmm. It would be open and kind of fall and the shotgun would just be resting on his chest or wherever it lands, stomach. The other thing could be this cadaveric spasm where, okay, now he's gripped in this forever, which Mm -hmm. I had not seen in other cases. So I thought that doesn't seem like an every time thing to me. Right. Or that... His body was there and then at some point somebody tightened his hand around the barrel to make it look like he was holding it. And that I have seen. And because after a few hours rigor mortis does begin to set in, the body is still pliable, but it is a little more rigid than just after death. It's going to hold like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. That's kind of where I felt was... If this is a murder, that's most likely because we have seen that happen in cases that have been staged as suicide. And that was one of the things that actually drew the police's attention to the fact that it was a homicide, not a suicide. Mm -hmm. Because people will try to grip the person's hand around the gun to be like, look at that, they were holding that gun. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And they're like, but that's not what happens with your body. When they fire that shot, the gun is no longer firmly gripped in their hands. They've fallen, and now that gun is kind of, they're just going to be splayed out, you know? They're falling wherever they, like resting where they fell kind of thing. hmm Because you would think, I mean, would he have been sitting upright and then fell backwards? Exactly. So if he was sitting upright at the moment that he is shot, then his body would have just stayed sitting upright, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, but he fell backwards. Yeah, so his hand, I don't, I don't know. I mean, again, like they said, it's a rare occurrence. I guess it does sometimes happen. It's not in everything, kind of like they made it sound. Right. I think the more likely scenario if it's a murder is that somebody tightened his hand around that gun. Yeah. The whole thing just screams it wasn't Kurt. Like it seems like it, it was yeah. assisted at the very least or something. I don't know. Yeah. So it's possible though that after the shotgun was fired, being that it was very top heavy, the gun flipped over, landing upside down in Kurt's hand. But again, I don't really see proof or a good reason why his hand was so tight around the barrel of the gun,
1: other than no. somebody doing it
0: for him. And I've shot shotguns. I've shot a shotgun like that. Damn, Torella. It doesn't flip. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It doesn't flip. It stays there. I mean- Especially if they're saying that he was gripping it so tightly when he died. Yeah. I mean, you would think if the if it flips like that, that's gotta be a liability problem. Like that's dangerous. Exactly. Yeah. It's not gonna completely do a friggin' like um, figure skating like spin triple axle shit. <laughs> right, exactly. Like that would be in a recall. Like, oopsie guys, this uh Remington shotgun actually does a fucking triple axle when you shoot it. So you're gonna wanna bring that back in. Yeah. But also, you're going to want to give it a 10. Oh, you're going to give it a 10 out of 10 every time. It's a great triple axel. It's just not supposed to do that. No, 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 no. Yes. So another concern was the amount of heroin found in Kurt's system. A doctor reportedly said that in a test, he'd given another person the same amount found in Kurt's system. And the person was unable or was able to function without issue. Actually, he said he gave him twice the amount that was in Kurt's system. If he gave him twice the amount that was in Kurt's system, first of all, bad doctor, Second of all, <laughs> that person is dead yeah. now. Like, <laughs> exactly, yeah. You have now murdered that person and you're in jail. Yeah. yeah. However, this person was not given heroin. They were given methadone. Methadone is a substance used to treat opioid addiction. It gives a similar feeling as if one was taking opiates, but is usually prescribed by a doctor. Unlike a prescribed medication, heroin is genuinely generally cut with other drugs. Every batch of heroin can be different strengths, which can result in vastly different effects on the user. The person was also given methadone orally, which has a substantially slower absorption rate than injecting medication intravenously, as Kurt did. I mean, it's like smoking weed versus (laughs) eating a weed brownie. Yes, you gotta wait for that shit to kick in. You smoke like it two instant. hours. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's what And you're people, like, nothing's happening. Nothing's I'm happening. Eat more. And then exactly. what happens is you become one with the couch now. Exactly. And you're like, I am never moving again. Yes. I don't know what's happening. I've never seen so many fucking colors. Exactly. Like, yeah. Can you hear my thoughts right now? <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm, I'm yeah. I'm confused.
0: If I could just, I like, I've only done like add brownies like a few times, but I just remember being like, if I could just, because it was the first time and I did the same thing. I was like, nothing's happening. I'm going to eat more. I'm going to eat more, whatever. And then it finally kicked in and I was like, fuck. And then I was like, if I could just make my mouth say food, <laughs> somebody would bring me food because we were at a party and there's all these people walking around and I'm like, God damn, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. I want food. And I'm like, Okay, Terrell, okay, just think about it, think about it. Make your mouth go, food, one time, and somebody will bring you like some fucking Cheetos or something. But (laughs) I couldn't make myself say it. I was too fucking high. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then that's, it's terrible because it's like, once you're in, you're in. You're like riding it (laughs) out. Yeah, you're just like, I'm so tired of being high. I just want to get up and do something. Exactly. So there are many doctors who say that they'd never seen someone with such a high content of heroin in their system still be able to function enough to shoot themselves. It's important to remember that though Kurt was a longtime addict, like many users, Kurt also had endless means to access heroin at any time. His tolerance was likely very high and heroin can stay in a person's system for up to a week. I didn't know that. Wow. I didn't know that either. It's possible that he'd used heroin after leaving Exodus up until his death. Grant argued that there was no possible way that Kurt could have injected such a significant amount of heroin, then put away his drug paraphernalia, picked up the shotgun, and shot himself. It was difficult for those with questions about Kurt's death to understand why the police waited 30 days to process the shotgun for fingerprints, then released it to Courtney, who had it melted down. (laughs) She's doing every, it's like classic, I did this behavior. I feel like I'm, Reading an episode of Snap. I know. Oh, yeah, I know. I want to try to do her voice, but I'm not going to do it good. I'm not going to dry. I'm not going to (laughs) try. No fingerprints were found on the gun, which suggested to some that it had been wiped down. They allowed the greenhouse to be torn down and destroyed. They also didn't understand why police so quickly ruled his death a homicide. Uh Uh-uh. Did not rule it a homicide. That's what we want. They ruled it quickly a suicide. That was messy. Well, Ooh. it was a Freudian slip because I'm like, it should have been a homicide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wildly enough, Courtney's father came out publicly stating that he believes Kurt was murdered. He also said that it was a well-known fact that the couple was going to get a divorce and that Kurt was going to change his will. Some argue that Courtney and her father were estranged and that he just wanted attention, which to that I would say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, yeah. if that's the case. Those who believed investigators' findings about Kurt having died by suicide believed it to be caused by a combination of depression, drug use, and being overwhelmed by what he had become. In an earlier interview, when asked if success brought him happiness, Kurt laughed and said that money can't buy happiness. He said for a moment it had brought him happiness, but then he began to think of finding treasures in secondhand stores and how special it was to find something that not everyone could find. In an interview, Grant said ultimately he believes that this was all Courtney's plan all along. He believes that she married him with the intent of furthering her career and that when her success and future was threatened by Kurt deciding to leave her, she took action by arranging his murder. She believes that suicide note was initially written as a note explaining to his fans that he wanted to leave Nirvana. Then the last four lines were added by someone else. I mean, that to me makes a lot of sense because I guess in a way you could maybe look at the first part of the letter, potentially, as a suicide note, if what followed, if it all came together, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it doesn't. It makes so much more sense that the first part of the letter is him being like, I mean, because he's saying, I used to, it's all, it's only about music. It's only about music. It's not about life. It's not about his passion for life. It's about his passion only for music. Well, I mean, he does kind of talk a little bit about like how he has to be numb to appreciate things that he used to appreciate as a kid or like get yeah. the feelings, but I think it is. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. It still is so just so tightly. It's centered around music though. I mean, very much so. Yeah, definitely. And and it it does just make, if you were presented with that and knew nothing else about the case and you said, here's a suicide note, you'd be like, kind of a weird note, but okay. But then if you hear, he was thinking about leaving Nirvana, and you read that, you're like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to think about the context of it, right? Right, yeah. And, you know, he's like, I do, I do appreciate, you know, everything that you've given us and all these things, but I just, I don't. I don't feel the same joy when I get up on stage and I feel like I have to be somebody else to get through it. And, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, like, I have to pretend that I'm 100% happy. Yeah, and, and he says it's not fair to you. Meaning fans, meaning. Yes, yeah. meaning fans. It's not fair to you for me to have to pretend. And I always said I would not be somebody who would pretend and fake it just to get through performances or whatever. He is talking about his fans. And I think that he really did love his fans. If he's writing a suicide note, how much is he going to write about Francis Bean? Oh, my gosh. I think the entire part that was about fans would have been about Francis Bean. It would have been 18 pages front and back. Exactly. He loved the shit out of that little girl. And you think he's going to leave her one fucking sentence? And say, he, she's better off without me. Mm-mm. Like, I don't think that he believed that. I don't think he believed that either. He loved her. Mm-hmm. He loved her very much. And he wanted to do... Anything that he could to be a better father than his own father, and he doted on her and he was emotionally available to her. Mm-hmm. Somebody who is wanting to be there for their child in a way that their father never was, who was alive, is not going to look at their death being a way to provide that. Right. Absolutely. They're just not. And I know, I know that we say all the time. You can't know what was going through somebody's head, and we can't. And I am totally willing to be completely wrong. And if the police would just fucking release the shit so that we you know, knew the definitive proof of why this was a suicide, that's fine. But there's just so many things that make you question that. And the fact that he had been talking to people about future plans, mm-hmm. leaving Courtney starting a new chapter of his life and taking her out of his will. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, she's going around asking, how do I void my prenup? How do I stay in this will? You know, how do I do all these things to make sure that financially I don't lose what I'm gonna lose if he leaves me? Yeah, because if they got a divorce like he had wanted, she would have been left with a small settlement. If what Mm -hmm. actually transpired had happened, which is what exactly happened, you know he passes away they're still married she inherits the estate and all of the future royalties which is billions of dollars i mean nirvana i was we were talking about this before we started recording nirvana and the beatles to me those are two of the biggest bands ever right queen the beatles nirvana like they're always mm-hmm. going to br- bring in money it's always going mm-hmm. to happen yeah i mean and she saw him as his, as her cash cow Yes, and the fact that that cash cow was going away, mm-hmm. he's going to leave her and she's not going to be left with the same lifestyle she's been living because the only way she's living that lifestyle is because of him because she's still, her band, I mean, they're famous. They're not Nirvana famous. No. They no. never became that famous. No, and they never will. mm No. So, I mean, if that's not at least if that doesn't at least deserve to be investigated as motive, I don't know what does. Like, Mm -hmm. why? I just, yeah. I think if nothing else, the reason, like the way that it was ruled as a suicide from the minute they drove up to that house, Mm -hmm. that all by itself is suspicious to me because I think that you should go into any Death, probably thinking, is this a hom? It's like that guy in the murder among the Mormons when he's like, I go into it being like, okay, if this is a fake document, I'm I'm gonna try to prove that it's not, or that it it's real. If this is a real document, I'm gonna go into it try to prove that it's not. Like you have to look, mm-hmm. a, you look have to look at things objectively, and they didn't. They were like, okay, mm-hmm. cut and dry, put a bow on it, everything's good, wrap it up. Mm-hmm. They yeah, didn't even try, like right. I've seen detectives in like missing person cases who are like, okay, you work it like she's still alive. I'll work it like she's dead. Yes. We'll see which which one, you know, the Do evidence that. fits. Like, yeah. Bring in homicide. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. You Because you, and that's why the one guy was like, that's why it's called a death investigation because you don't fucking know just by taking a look around. Like, okay, well, one person, one gun, bingo, bongo, suicide, let's move on. Right. Not to mention how many people have gone on to die by suicide because they thought that their idol, Kurt Cobain, did it. Mm -hmm. And that's the way to go. Mm -hmm. Copycat suicides. Exactly. I mean, that's tragic. Mm -hmm. That's tragic. Like, I mean, I'm sure it happened with Chris Cornell. I'm sure it happened with mm -hmm. Chester Bennington. Like, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it did. It's just that's just another another ripple effect mm-hmm. of what if this is murder, mm-hmm. you know? And all of those people could be spared. Yeah, could we have prevented people from going that route? Mm-hmm. I'm not naive enough to think that like, you know, well, that's the same as murdering them. But I mean, <laughs> you're giving them a false, you know, mm-hmm. if it is murder, they're not copying something that actually happened it's it's a trick at the very least i mean Mm -hmm. it just it affects people you know what i mean like you can't to think that to think that taking out one person is not going to affect that many people or whatever is just that's not how it works especially somebody who was you know who had as much influence as kurt cobain did Mm -hmm. there is such a ripple effect it's just it's just sad. It is. It's very, very sad. I mean, it's still listed as a suicide. And like like I said in the first episode, until we really started like, looking into this, I just thought that that's what it was mm-hmm. because that's how it was always reported. Yeah, that's the narrative that, I mean, it really works for Courtney. <laughs> right. And honestly, anything that works for Courtney, I'm going to just have to second guess. Yeah, I mean, I would call her motives questionable at best. Yeah, like in so many things. Like I also have a lot of questions about Dylan Carlson because he's the person who bought the gun that was later used to kill Kurt Cobain by his own hand or by somebody else's because Kurt Cobain had had his own guns confiscated. And he says to Tom Grant when they're going around looking for the gun, trying to find it, If I had thought he was suicidal in any way, shape, or form, I never would have given him a gun. Right. I never would have given him a gun. And he did also, he said he offered to, you know, take it back for him while Kurt was at Exodus and he insisted on keeping it with him. I mean, you know, that's questionable. I feel like that's a point towards suicide, maybe. Why are you insisting on keeping this gun when you are supposed to not be home? Right. But what's really weird to me is after his body was discovered, he was in direct contradiction with everything Courtney was saying up until the body was discovered. He was saying, no, he's not suicidal. And Courtney's like, oh, he was totally suicidal. And Dylan's like, no, he absolutely was not. That's not true. He wasn't suicidal. Then after the body's discovered, it's like he's in Courtney's court now. Well, yeah, I mean- There was a moment in Soaked in Bleach when Tom Grant was talking about how he tried to question Dylan and he asked him to come over to Courtney's house. Courtney didn't say anything about him getting there. She brings him upstairs, brings him back downstairs after a little bit. And they're trying to do an interview with Courtney sitting right there. And Dylan is so high on heroin that he can't even stay awake long enough to be questioned. And who does that work for? Courtney, like... She, I feel like she was trying anything she could to be like to to derail to derail the investigation. Yeah, because he's like, Why would you you called him over here specifically to talk to me? Yeah, why would you waste my time? Yeah, then you bring him upstairs, you don't even tell me he's here. You bring him upstairs for a like pre interview with you, which why would you need to do that? You make sure he gets super high, and then he comes downstairs and now he can't even stay awake and answer a question. Which is also why I was like, okay, how much heroin did he do? Because if he's doing, what, 40 to 60 grams or whatever, like a normal thing, and he's falling asleep and can't stay awake during this interview, what is 225 going to do? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it just, I don't know. There's just so much that doesn't, that just doesn't make sense. And the, you know, renowned forensic pathologist, Cyril Wecht, is in the Soaked in bleach documentary and they talked to him quite a bit. And he really loved to examine the autopsy and everything. But of course, it's never been released. Courtney promised Tom she would go get it because he's like, look, it's yours. You can go get a copy of that autopsy. The police won't give it to me, but you could get it. She's like, oh, totally. I'm going to be here on the 17th and then I'll I'll hand it to you. My hand to your hand, you do what you want with it. Of course, she never met with him and never talked to him again, basically. But he's just like, you know. If you want to ask me if this case should be reopened, my answer is unequivocally, unhesitatingly, yes, this case should be reopened. Just put the facts out there. Mm -hmm. Let us know one way or the other. I don't think that, I don't know, I guess there's some people that even if they saw direct evidence that it was a suicide, they'd be like, no, it wasn't, Courtney killed him. But Right. I mean, I'm open to whatever the actual facts are. I would just like to know, and knowing that no investigation was done, I'm afraid this is going to be one of those things that we will never be able to find the truth, you know? Yeah, exactly. And the only reason why, like, it doesn't look great when somebody is like, hey, can I see that? Because it would help me figure something out. And they're like, no. (laughs) Right. No. No. Like, like, if we have nothing to hide, then what? Yeah, it's not because I'm hiding anything. It's not because I'm lying to you. Mm-hmm. But you just cannot see it. Right. No, you may not. Yeah. But thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you guys have any insight or a differing opinion or anything, please let us know because we want to keep this conversation going. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's... I don't know. We, we like Torella said, we don't mind being proved wrong. Right. If we're wrong, yeah. we're all right with it. And, you know, we want the conversation to be really respectful. This is something that we'll be talking about in our Hangout group on Facebook. So we've got two Facebook groups, which I think we never talk about. No, I actually don't want to talk about it right now. Oh, okay. All right. Never mind. I won't tell you guys. Never mind. (laughs) But we've got a free group, Killer Queens Podcast Discussion, Case Discussion Group. It's like long, but that's Mm -hmm. something like that. So anybody backslash can jump in another there. <laughs> Yeah. Anybody can jump in there and join. And we just talk about, you know, cases, 90s stuff, true crime, whatever. And then we have our hangout group, which is smaller and it is available to anyone in the $10 Patreon tier and up. So it's just, it's a it's a little bit more of an intimate kind of like community. And we go live in there every week on Wednesdays. Wednesdays. Yeah, Wednesday. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So this case releases on a Saturday. So this coming Wednesday, we will be opening the discussion up to, you know, what do you guys think? So if you want to jump in and talk like literally directly with us, you leave a comment, we respond to it, join that group, and we can chat with you there. Yeah. Yeah. Chatting with your gal pals. Yeah. Yeah. But. Thank you so much for listening and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.